This episode, Shelly, is super cool because my— How cool is it? My best friend, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Linda, she is such a neat person. Spiritually, wow, we're just going to get into it. We are going to get into it in this episode. Her spiritual interest is called evolutionary astrology. Mm -hmm. And we're going to just sort of dip our toe into it today. There's so much to talk about. Also, we talk about how Linda and I met and all kinds of stuff. It's also flying on the heels of that Netflix series that we watched, which sparked our interest in this. Yeah, what's that called again? Something Death. Surviving Death. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I thought you'd have it right there, but no, it's okay. I'm here for you. I knew it was Something Death. It was something about death mm-hmm. and how to survive it, I guess. Yep. All right. We are going to get into the conversation with Linda right after this. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter Day Lesbian, the podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl just trying to figure out her life. I'm Mary. And I'm Shelly. Shelly, we have a special guest today. I, um, I'm dying. You're dying? This is, this, I, I'm a little <laughs> starstruck. I'm a little bit, um, fangirling. Nice. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What? Linda, did you know that Shelly fangirls over you? Oh, yeah. I don't understand. How did that come about? This is news to me. <laughs> well, I knew of the importance that you are in Mary's life. And, True. um, <laughs> just made me kind of get a, a little, uh, my heart a little of fluff. A fluff, a fluffster. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> a flutter, a fluff, a fluffer. I might that's be cute. blushing. Uh-huh. We're in a fluffster fest. <laughs> I had no idea. Awesome. Were you nervous about meeting Linda? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Back in the day, three uh-huh. years ago. So uh-huh. we have to tell this story really quick. Okay. And then we're going to get into who Linda is. So <laughs> let's uh, talk about her, and then we'll yeah, find okay. out who she is. Okay. Yeah. Enough about you. More about me. Just kidding. Right. <laughs> a few years ago, when Shelly and I were first dating. I had this trip planned to go to Atlanta. Linda lives in Atlanta. And I said to Shelly, you know what? I know we've only known each other about three weeks, but I feel like I want to ask you to go to Atlanta with me. And Shelly's mm-hmm. like, I think I want to say yes. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so, you know, we hardly knew each other. She gets on a plane. She meets me at Reagan Airport. We get on a plane. We come oh, to Atlanta. Back up a little. I was so freaking nervous <laughs> sitting at the airport, like waiting for Mary to show up in some hallway that I was waiting in. Some airport hallway. Some random airport hallway. <laughs> so scary. <laughs> it was like it was like the back alley airport hallway. <laughs> back alley. <laughs> she was basically like doing a loop on the luggage carousel. Yeah. She was all turned around. All turned around. <laughs> all turned around. <laughs> okay. I just want to say like straight away that I can't match y'all's wit. So I'm just going to laugh a lot. And like, if you have a deep spiritual question, shoot it at me. Otherwise, I'm just going to laugh at the two of you. Exactly. All we need is an audience. That's yep. it. Give us an audience and we're golden. Don't encourage us, Linda. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Maybe we should Perfect. get into that a little bit. So listeners, this episode Fair warning is going to be all over the place, and that is okay, because that's how our brains work sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Gemini. Right? You're both Gemini, sons in Gemini, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can be all over the place. Two days apart. Two days yeah. apart. Wait, you didn't finish the story. Oh, about going to Atlanta yes. meeting all my friends. Yes. All my friends that I had for over 20 years. And let me <laughs> jump in there. Not just all your friends, all of your career lesbian friends. Like, right. I had never been around <laughs> groups of lesbians at once. A like, gaggle. Like, mature. <laughs> yeah, a gaggle, a murder, whatever, whatever a they are. A murder um, of lesbians. I almost said a labia of lesbians, oh, but you geez. can cut that if you want, Dan. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, yeah, I was freaking out. Anyway, Linda being one of the most careeriest of career lesbians and also one of um, Mary's best friends going way back. Yep. was very intimidated, yeah. for sure. We go way back. We mm-hmm. sure do. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine, Shelly, I mean, not only were you leaving, I mean, not completely leaving your past behind. You have kids, you mm-hmm. have an attachment, blah, 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 but you're starting this new thing. And it's hard enough to, like, leave a marriage. And then you, like, bound into lesbianism. And mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> it's like a double. I can't even imagine what you must have been feeling. You know, it's oh not God. for everyone. Well, it's, <laughs> I, it's for me. I stuck with it. And you, you, this lesbian group of like mature lesbian women, mm-hmm. um, y'all made me sit and watch that lesbian movie. Oh, Desert Hearts. Desert yes. Hearts. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got a great Desert Hearts story. But Put your sweet lips a little closer to the phone. To the phone. <laughs> yeah, no, you have a great Desert Hearts story, Linda. Oh, my 
my God, there's so much to talk about. I know. We'll get into that later. Okay. So Linda, I've seen this evolution in you. The entire time I've known you, I've seen you evolve into this really highly spiritual person Mm -hmm. before my eyes, pretty much. And I think you probably would say something similar about me. I don't know that I've taken it quite to where you've taken it. But remember back in the day when we were in the 90s and we were just like in our 20s and being gay and trying to figure out life? Yeah. We're way different now. Totally. And I can comment on that. Thankfully. Yeah. I mean, do you want me to say anything about that? Yeah, go for it. Well, I had major confidence issues, a very deep existential void. I knew that I was talented. I knew that I was smart. Um, I knew like intellectually I was these things, but emotionally on the inside, I did not feel that. And I remember like the first year or two that we knew each other, you would be like, you have to get your confidence up. Was I shooting you? <laughs> I was shooting um, you. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. We were young and we've, and we've all shitted people when we were young. Um, I try not to do that now. And you don't do that to me now. But back then you did. But it was good for me at the time because... You know, I was talking about wanting to be the Indigo Girls drummer. I was talking about all this stuff and I had made the moves, but inside I felt inferior. And you picked up on that all the time because probably I was talking to you about it all the time and like, oh, I'm, you know, I want this. But, you know, just kind of that sheepish Virgo thing, which we'll talk about that later. Okay. But um, that has definitely changed inside of me throughout the years. Yeah. And I think it's a big part of what you've noticed. Yeah, probably so. Because you have definitely developed into yourself, if that is a way to talk about it. You know, you've come into who you are yes. over the years. Yeah. Yes. I've accepted it. Yeah. Actually, I've always been that, but I accepted, emotionally accepted it. It's one thing to mentally know it. It's another thing to emotionally accept it. Right. Two different things. Well, in this iteration, you were born into a family where everyone revolved around your alcoholic father. Not to dive right into it, mm-hmm. but you didn't have confidence modeled to you? No, I had an authoritarian father, which part of me in my age and in my spiritual development and in getting to know myself and, you know, shedding the tears and asking the whys and all this stuff. Part of me is thankful for my authoritarian father because he scared away the family pedophile. Oh, wow. My father protected me from uh, awful things that happened to other women um, in my extended family. So I'm thankful for that. Wow. I didn't know that. I've been really getting in touch with that. Like, you know, I talked to my dad. He passed what something like 20, 22, 23 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk to him often because I didn't have a good relationship with him because I was afraid of him. Mm. I mean, he had good things. He was a guitar player. He was kind of funny, happy-go-lucky. But as far as his parenting style, it was quite fear-based. No physical abuse or anything like that. But I was just afraid of him, you know? Yeah. So I just kind of would cower and I didn't really talk to him. I didn't have much of an emotional connection. But my mom told me recently, a couple of years ago, what he had said to the family pedophile when I was just a young person. And he scared the bejesus out of this guy to where this guy didn't go near me or my sister. Wow. So that's a good thing. Well, that is a good thing. Yeah. I try to go there now instead of the other stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. So Shelly and I both left high demand religions and a lot of that for us now is just questioning spirituality. How do we feel about spirituality? What does that mean to us? And I have been so interested and impressed by your spiritual journey. Uh, We had been talking for a while about getting you on this show to talk about it because you have just some really interesting ways that you view the universe and and that sort of thing. And astrology plays into that. And we want to get into all that. Mm-hmm. So Shelly and I, uh, well, Shelly actually stumbled upon this documentary series on Netflix called Surviving Death. Mm-hmm. That thing is amazing. It's only six parts, really easy to watch. It starts out talking about near-death experiences. Then it talks about mediums, mediumship, I guess was what they call that. And then it goes into reincarnation by the end of the series. And it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. It is such a good series. I am texting you wildly as we're watching this. I'm like, Linda, you have to watch this series. It's amazing. (laughs) And it's interesting because when you were texting me, I was like, oh, it's just another show about this. And I've been studying this for a long time and it's probably going to be fluffy. And it was everything but that. Yeah. Right. So thank you. Thank you, Shelly, for the good Netflix pick. That was very good. It's about time. I hear you're a bad Netflix picker, but that was a very good pick. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's about time I made a good pick. Mary made a pick last night. 
night I forced her to and it sucked. So I'm not the only one <laughs> there you who, go. who oftentimes makes poor Netflix picks. That's really funny. Well, we need more shows like that, clearly. Yeah. And yeah, I want right. to get into all that, too. There's so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. So your spiritual practice is what you call evolutionary astrology, right? Yes, it is. It has evolved into that. Yes. Do you want to kind of describe what that is a little bit? Evolutionary astrology is a symbolic language, and it's not like traditional astrology where you open up the newspaper and read your sun horoscope and yeah, yeah, yeah. There are elements of truth, you know, to that kind of thing. But I always found that type of intuitively, I found that type of astrology a little too shallow for me Mm. Um, and not completely accurate. And it didn't go deep enough. My moon is in Scorpio. Moon is your emotional self-image, how you see yourself, how you process your emotions. Scorpio is about the deepest emotional sign that you can get. It's very intense. And so with my moon and Scorpio, I never resonated with just the shallow astrology. And, you know, astrology had always been in my mind, but then I had a horrible, horrible dark night of the soul experience, separation from someone, and I needed answers. And evolutionary astrology gave me the answers. It's a symbolic language that answers the questions, why? Mm. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Why do these things happen? Like what's going on? And when you connect the symbols, you can, you kind of get the storyline of, you know, A, we don't come in as a clean slate. We've had many, many lives before the ones that we're living now. And it basically shows your karma, your karma to your dharma. Your dharma is your future. It's where your soul wants to evolve. It's the direction, but it's also the unknown. So it's a very scary place. So through the chart, I look at Pluto, which symbolizes your soul, which is the immutable consciousness that cannot be destroyed. That's how EA defines the soul. Your soul lives on from life to life to life. It never dies. It's energy. Hmm. So I look at Pluto and then I look at how the nodes of the moon, the south node is the emotional residue that you came in with. Some of it's good. Some of it's limiting. And then I look at the north node and that's basically uh, the area in life where your soul needs to evolve in order to move past limiting emotional patterns. So that's what I look at. It gives you the answers. What are my lessons? Why am I here? So you feel like you've figured that out for yourself? Well, no, I don't think any human can like completely figure out everything, but it certainly gave me a lot of answers and aha moments that brought, brought me to my knees, you know, tears, just answering the questions. It helped me accept my karma. It helped me understand the whys of the things that had happened to me up to that point. Um, it was very powerful. Yeah. And also, you know, having an understanding of reincarnation, you know, before I discovered EA, I read books like Conversations with God, which I think is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Michael Newton, Journey of Souls. You know, those were all kind of primers. Those kind of books outline your soul actually plans your life from life to life. There, There is life between life where you're with your elders and you're with your loved ones. Okay, so you're going to play this role and you're going to play this role. And then I'm going to try to work through this emotional limitation. And we're going to try to dissolve this karma. You make plans. So, you know, you come in and then you play out those roles. You know, what did Shakespeare say? Life is life is but a play or something. I don't know what he said, but it was something like that. That's exactly what it is. Everybody in your life, you're playing out these roles. And through these roles, you're either dissolving karma, creating more karma and moving through your emotional limitations so that your soul can evolve and expand. And so those books, um, Journey of Souls, Conversations with God was a primer to evolutionary astrology to where I just feel like I got the whole picture. And then it takes you out of victim mode. You know, for instance, I had a horrible heartbreak. Why did this happen to me? It shouldn't have happened that way. Well, with the karma that I came in with, I also did a past life regression. We can talk about that. As I was um, discovering EA, it gave me the answers of why this woman had to separate from me temporarily or maybe permanently. We don't know. But yeah, it gave me the answers that I needed, which pulled me out of victimhood and feeling sorry for myself. Right. So as I'm listening to this, of course, my mind is going to my Mormon upbringing. And it's interesting because it seems like really through most, if not all religions, there's kind of a common thread of of some kind of belief. And afterlife is a belief that most religions, I think, have. I know for sure for me being raised Mormon, there was a belief that we existed before we came to the earth and then we will exist after we leave. But the big difference that you're speaking about here, Linda, is that in Mormonism, the time in between, we don't really get to discover ourselves. We follow what we're being told to do. You know, we don't get to choose our path. They tell us the path. This is the path you have to take to get to the other side and get what is waiting for you. Huge difference. 
See, that's the problem with patriarchal religion, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Mormonism, whether it's whatever it is. It's the filter of religion that, frankly, this planet is evolving out of. Mm -hmm. Um, Membership in religion is going down year after year because people are discovering, you know, this is all about the age of Aquarius, not to sound new agey because I'm not into anything new agey. I'm into anything that your emotions and your experience can validate. The whole idea of Aquarius is that you access the divine on your own. You stop giving your power away. Mm -hmm. Um, Religions instill fear, guilt, shame, and they instill this separateness between you and the divine, where the divine is telling you what to do, what you should be, how you have to be. And evolutionary astrology um, negates all that because that's not natural law. Natural law is you discover on your own, and sometimes you have to go through some difficult experiences to learn. It's Aries. It's touching the hot stove. Your soul will not expand and learn unless you make a bunch of mistakes. Mm. That's how it goes. And it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean you're a sinner. It doesn't mean in the big picture you did anything wrong. You might feel emotional pain. You might feel regret. You might, But you learn through those things. That's the difference. It's that filter of religion that the powers outside of you and someone else, usually a male, is telling you what to do and how to be. Mm-hmm. So how do you explore that on your own if you're stuck in this religion where they're dictating your every move? Well, in evolutionary astrology, there are three states of consciousness. Uh, the first state of consciousness is called the dimly evolved or the de-evolved. And that's when your soul starts incarnating uh, onto the earth or other planes as like lower forms of consciousness, like animals or plants like you're learning to be here okay you don't have a lot of emotional experience you're just kind of learning how to project your energy into a physical environment and move through it okay that's the first stage okay the second stage is called consensus consensus stage is like the herd state it consists of about 80 percent of the population and it consists of people who basically are going to go along with the norms, the rules of society. Like they seek churches, they seek authority outside of themselves to tell them what to do. Yeah. They just want to fit in. Okay. And so I think that we can all observe that, you know, people are always giving their power away to either governments or religions or the father figure or whatever, or the mother figure, if the mother's more authoritarian, it's usually the father. But the consensus day, it is all about noticing the authority and the power outside of you and wanting to fit into that. And so the first stage consensus is like the worker bee. Okay. You're the worker bee. You come in, you just kind of do your job. All you want to do is survive in this, in this consensus environment. You want to make your way through it. Second stage consensus is you're kind of starting to figure out how this works. And now you kind of want to fit into it more and you want to find your place and you want to figure out how to get to the, you know, top tier, you know, of the power structure. Third stage consensus is when you're the CEO, you're the president, you know, you're the top dog in some kind of something that gives you status, power, wealth, something of that nature where you're at the third stage. Now, eventually, when your soul has enough lifetimes in that third stage, it starts to sense there's something more. Wait a minute. There's something more. I know these folks in this society, in this culture, whatever it is you're referring to outside of yourself is telling you how to be. Your soul is itching at you. It's itching at you that there's something more. There's something more. That's when you transition into what we call the individuated state. Okay. The individuated state is when you start thinking for yourself and you've created these um, familial environments or friendships or relationships or whatever that fit very well into the consensus. But when you start hitting individuated, that stuff doesn't work for you anymore. You have to find your own way. Shelly, you're a perfect example of someone moving from consensus into individuated, okay? You moved out of consensus religion, out of a consensus family structure that looks good according to what Mormonism tells you. Mm-hmm. Your soul was nudging at you to get the hell out of there, even though you love your kids. Sure. You know, I'm sure that you have some affection for Brent, your ex-husband, mm-hmm. but you didn't want to be there anymore because it wasn't you anymore. Right. So you're individuated. So now there's three stages in uh, individuated. The first stage is the hardest stage. It's when you're leaving consensus and you have to leave everything that you know because your soul's nudging you like, wait a minute, this doesn't work for me anymore. Okay. Yeah. So the first stage is a very, very insecure stage. It's very scary. A lot of people will stay stuck there, you know, for lifetimes because they don't have the courage and the will to move forward. I would say so many of our listeners are in that stage. They're unhappy. They're feeling that nudge, that push, but they don't know what to do. They're reaching out. They find the podcast. They're looking into ex-Mormon stuff, ex-religious stuff. They find the podcast mm-hmm. and it gives them strength 
and determination, but they're still so scared and they get stuck. And I did too. You you kind of get stuck in this, I really feel like I need to do something, but it's so damn scary. It's scary because it's everything that you don't know. Yeah. You know, moving into the unknown, no matter what you're doing, no matter what evolutionary stage you're in, is a completely scary thing. And that's a big thing about first stage individuated is that fear and that stuckness because your relationships are going to change. Mm-hmm. That's just scary. So that's first stage. When you move into second stage, the anger comes, the rebellion comes like, ah, you don't ever want to be pulled back into that. Hell yeah. Because you saw how constricting it was and how it damaged you. It worked for a while. It worked for many, many lifetimes, but it doesn't work for you anymore. So you're seeing all the hypocrisies, all the whatever, you know, it's like you're picking out what what works for you and picking out what doesn't work for you and making your own little pie of individualism. Mm -hmm. That's the individuated state. Second stage is colored with anger and rebellion. You just don't ever want to go back to what you were. Doesn't work for you anymore. And relationships you know, come what may, you know, let the, let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Of course, everything you're saying, I'm like relating it to my life, my old religion, everything, because our listeners are, are typically ex-Mormon or, or ex-religious. And that anger stage, that's some powerful shit right there. You feel it in your gut. It's hard to keep in. You lash out. And a lot of people- You stay, document it on a podcast. You document it on a podcast. So the people of state are always like, why do you have to be so angry? You're just another one of those angry ex-Mormons. And they dismiss that as being like, it's not okay to be angry. Yeah. We have a lot of angry listeners. And I tell people, it's okay. Fucking be angry. You should be angry. If you're not angry, you're going to get angry. I mean, it's going to hit eventually when you look back and, and you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. It's not about the emotion. It's how you use it. Anger can be used very constructively. As long as you don't project it out and hurt other people or use it as a, as some kind of excuse to victimize other people with anger, you have to go inward and ask the why and take ownership of it Mm -hmm. and transmute it. But it's a very valid emotion. It's a cathartic emotion. It moves you forward. Yes. When used correctly, it moves you forward. So that second stage individuated, you can be in that second stage for lifetimes. It's where atheism comes from. And atheism is a very valid choice for some people because they've been so scarred by religion. Right. Yeah. Scarred by patriarchal religion. So they just think that there's nothing else out there. And that's a valid place to be you know, until you're not there anymore. Experience with the divine will probably pull you out of that in some lifetime. But, you know, I don't knock anybody for what they believe or where they are because they're supposed to be there. And so the third stage individuated um, is when you move out of that anger place and you find that peaceful place within yourself. Like you're like, I'm okay. You're okay. Everything's all right. And I'm just going to hang here for a while. And I I know who I am and I'm comfortable with it. And if you don't agree with me, that's okay. You Mm -hmm. know, that's all right. You know, the anger and the rebellion has gone because you found the security and this grounding within yourself to where I'm never going to go back to the consensus. I moved through those first two stages and I'm I'm okay. You're okay. Now from that stage, that's when the divine starts creeping in. Like now, okay. You might feel okay, but there's more growing to do. That's when you start moving to dispirituated. When you transition from one stage to the next, it is so insecure and scary because moving to dispirituated, now you start aligning your ego. And when I say ego, I don't mean a narcissistic, some kind of selfish thing. I mean your human self Hmm. made up of emotions. It's your human self that your soul projects into this lifetime. It's the Mary Rutt. It's the, it's the Shelly. It's the Linda. That's our ego. Your ego starts wanting to align with uh, divine will. I will, my will, divine will. And so moving to dispirituated, which is what I've been doing this lifetime, is when you may want something, but the divine says otherwise, and you have to start developing a relationship with the divine and understanding the wise and aligning your will with divine will. And I can give an example of that if you want it. But Moving into the spirituated stage is when you start having direct relationship with source energy. I call it source energy. I don't use the word God because it's too patriarchal and that word has been, I just don't like it. So I use either creator, source energy, God, goddess. Um, But that's when you start having a direct, it's not belief at this point. It's like you start noticing signs and synchronicities and your intuition starts getting stronger and you start realizing that your intuition is Basically, your higher self, it's God, goddess, it's your love team, it's your angels, it's the beings that watch over you from life to life and guide you in the direction that your soul wants to go for um, evolve. You start 
hearing that and you start seeing signs and synchronicities and you start acknowledging those things, which develops a direct relationship with the divine. It's beyond belief at this point. It's that you know it because you feel it. You follow the signs, you trust them, you learn to trust them. And then you start investigating, you know, these topics outside of religion of, you know, reincarnation, uh, near-death experiences. You start becoming very interested in that stuff. Yeah. So, and then there's three stages there, first, second, and third, where, you know, you move up the rung. The third stage, spirituated, is where we find the Jesus, the Buddha, their avatars. They have evolved to a point where they're literally, you know, fused with the creator, Yogananda, Gandhi. Third stage individuated. Interesting. And that's where we're all headed. But we're all headed there in our own time. For sure. And at our own pace. That's where religion gets it wrong. They call you a sinner. They fear you. They shame you. You know, they guilt you for not being there. And it's like, well, we're not all working at the same pace. So just chill out, people, you know. And I would say the people who are expecting the flock to be at a certain place are not there themselves. I would agree with that. To know what they're talking about. Right. Because if you were there, there would be an unconditional love. I mean, it's not like a, you know, you get a free pass and do whatever you want. When you get to that third stage spirituated or second stage, you don't want to hurt other people. Right. You don't want to judge other people, you know, because you're developing that relationship with, you know, the oneness, the unconditional love, which gives you more compassion. It gives you more understanding. Doesn't mean you're perfect. You're going to make some mistakes because you're still incarnating here. It's kind of hard to explain. It's very experience-based. It's not a belief at this point. You start having direct experience with the divine. Right. And this brings up something that I find interesting as intuition. So how much does your intuition, your inner voice, your nudges play into all this? Well, it depends on how much you listen to it and how much you cultivate it because your intuition is always trying to talk to you. But depending on where you are, how many lifetimes you lived, how, you know, developed you are, how open you are to these ideas, um, it depends. I mean, I listened to it pretty early on, and I think you did, too. You know, the whole thing that Shelley just went through with her family and leaving Mormonism and everything, it came later for her. But for you and I, Mary, it came earlier because we knew at a very young age that we were gay and we had to tell people and we had to go against the grain. And I just, you know, remember when I was 14 years old laying in my bed, my intuition was like, you're a lesbian. Like it named it. Wow. Because I knew, (laughs) you know, I knew that I just always felt more comfortable, you know, around my girlfriends. You know, as a drummer in the band, I hung out with the guys like, yeah, okay. But there was no in loveness and there was none of that emotional attachment that I had with girls. And I couldn't figure it out until I was 14. And my intuition was screaming at me oh, you know, you're a lesbian. And I remember just tears coming down my face like, oh my God, I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. Because this is like, what, 1982, 1983? And you couldn't be, there was all the stigma around it then. It's, you know, it wasn't like it is now. So to me at the time, it was like a death sentence, but it was my intuition speaking to me. But I lived enough lives to know that I had to be true to that. Mm. And it was my intuition that led me down to Atlanta around all my soulmates and all my lessons that I had to learn. Yeah, and I want to get into all that. Yeah. Let's take a quick commercial break and then get into your journey to Atlantic. That is a fascinating story. Okay. We'll be right back. And we're back. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for hanging in there. We're back that quick. <laughs> we're back that quick. quick. <laughs> I love how this works. I know. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, gosh, that is such an interesting story, how you ended up in Atlanta, Georgia. Do you want to tell that story? Sure. I consider this part of my life the second stage of my life. Around that time, it was late high school, and the Indigo Girls had just come out. To give some background, uh, like I did in the last segment, I've known that I was gay since I was 14, and I hid it. Um, I couldn't tell anybody because it was the 80s. It was a death sentence to me. I just couldn't. I was just full of fear. But then when they came out and I saw them on VH1, it was very clear to me that they were gay. (laughs) So I think it was very clear to a lot of people. And so for me, it was completely freeing to see these two women in mainstream music because I had been listening to what was termed women's music back then. (laughs) Uh I never wanted to be in that like box of women's music. I just wanted to be, (laughs) you know, this is the age of MTV VH1. I wanted to be on MTV VH1. I didn't want to be that. You are a self-taught musician. I think we need to put that out there, how you learned to be 
like such an accomplished musician for real. Well, I mean, talking about, you know, you don't come in as a clean slate. I clearly had played guitar and drums in my past lives because I could just do it this time around from right. a very young age. I can hear a song <laughs> and just pretty much play it unless it's some kind of Mozart thing. I mean, I can't do like diminished seven ninth chord to the 10th power today. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't even know what you just said. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we've got your three chord country song or your maybe your four chord rock song, whatever the heck it is. I can pretty much hear it and play it. That's true on guitar and it's true on keyboard, right? Um, not so much on keyboard. I kind of do freeform on my keyboard. She's downplaying her mm-hmm. piano skills. No, I, do, I don't even play the black keys. They confuse me. I just play the white keys. <laughs> but yeah, on guitar and drums, I can pretty much hear it and play it. So I did not come in as a as a clean slate. In fact, I saw the Go-Go's when I was 13 on Solid Gold. And at that point in my life, I had never known that a female could even be a drummer in a band because I wasn't exposed to Karen Carpenter yet. She was a fantastic drummer. But I saw the Go-Go's and I was like, oh, like my life changed in that moment. And my brother had drumsticks in his closet that he had never used that he got for Christmas. And I just immediately went to the closet and got the drumsticks and I've not put them down since. Yeah. And I could just play. That's amazing. I didn't have drum lessons or anything. I mean, I was in band and all that stuff, but no one really had to show me I could just do it. So I had this innate thing. And so that was my purpose. My son is in the fifth house. It's creativity, it's music, it's art, it's all that stuff. So getting back to the Indigo Girls, when I saw them, you know, melding this whole, I'm a gay musician, where am I going to go? I can't go to Nashville. It's too conservative. Even though I loved country music, can't go there because I'm going to be ostracized. I can't be who I am there. LA is too, it's too glammy. I don't want to go there. It's too far away. Um, New York is just crazy. I'm not going there and I'm not a jazz drummer. You kind of have to be a jazz drummer and all that to make it in New York. It's like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, here come these two gay ladies on VH1 playing this music that was accessible to me that I loved. And they were out there in the mainstream being themselves doing it. And I'm like, bam, that's it. So I knew where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. I wanted to be their drummer. I just wanted to come here and just be here so I could just finally be myself. But I had a lot of fear. I knew what I wanted to do, but I was so afraid. I just, I was immobilized by my low self-confidence, low self-esteem. Change scared the hell out of me. I had trouble talking to strangers at that point. Um, I was not very outspoken. I just had this quietness about me and it was rooted in low self-esteem. Yeah. So I was in a college band at the time and the leader of the band, his name's Todd. Uh, We grew up together in the same small town. He wanted to come to Atlanta too. And we were in a semi-successful college band up in Michigan. And he's like, we need to move to Atlanta. Like he came to me and said this, not even knowing how I felt about wanting to go there. And I was like, yeah, but I was so scared and meek and whatever. And so finally he had to push me. He'd be like, look, we're going. And you can come or not. And if you don't, we're just going to find a new drummer. (laughs) So, and I was like, (gasps) and he scared the bejesus out of me. And I was like, no, you know, my moon and Scorpio, I'm so intense. I'm like, no, I have to. And so, (laughs) so I announced it to everybody that I'm moving to Atlanta with a singular focus. I am going to get on stage with the Indigo Girls. And really looking back, we can all see this at this point. It was a catalyst for me to you know, come into my own to be comfortable in my own skin. They were catalysts for me. So I did move down here on Halloween night of 1992. We were all living in this shitty little apartment off Cheshire Bridge where the murder on the corner and the drugs on the corner. And I was scared shitless. I was like, (laughs) what did I just do? I remember driving through Knoxville. My girlfriend at the time uh, helped me move down. (laughs) We had our screaming cat in the back she's moving me down here because she's supportive of my dreams and everything. And I was just like the major fear. I remember driving through Knoxville, like, what did I just do? Mm. Because Atlanta is what, 770 miles from um, Michigan. And I just, it was such a bold move for me to do this, but I did it. And the first year here was awful. Yeah. I was very lonely. I couldn't make friends easily because I couldn't even talk to anybody. So basically it just consisted of me finding a job I moved down here with like $20 in my pocket and no job. So the first year was about me finding a job and just kind of working up my nerve to talk to people. And that's when I encountered Aaron Musselwhite and Julie Clark, which is how I met you, Mary. Right. 
shortly after the first year I was here. And from that point, everything changed. I told myself I was going to give it a year. And if I couldn't make friends or do anything, I was hightailing it back to Michigan. And I think around the 11th, 12th month, things started opening up because I met Julie and Aaron. And that's how I met you. And we were in sort of similar positions because I was moving down to Atlanta from Virginia Beach, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit before you moved from Michigan. But I didn't have a group yet either. I was super lonely. I ended up stalking our friend Holly to be my friend. (laughs) The difference is you're so extroverted. You had no trouble talking to strangers. That is true. I would imagine. Is that correct? That is true. Take her to a bar and pretty soon you're friends with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. My problem at that time, it's not as much anymore, is I had trouble being alone. Like after the party's over, coming home and just sitting with myself was very difficult for me back then. But I don't have that problem anymore, thankfully. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So... We had different issues going on. So I I desperately needed people so I didn't have to have that alone feeling. Hmm. You know what I mean? I'd like to see where your Pluto is in your chart. My Pluto's in the first house. It can be very much a loner. Like they don't want necessarily want to be alone. Yeah. But they're used to being on their own so much that it's not that uncomfortable thing. And that was me. Yeah. No, I hear you. We ended up having such a good time in the 90s hanging out with a group of lesbians. Oh, my gosh. That was so fun. <laughs> the whole world opened up. I know. Everyone you... needs a group of lesbians in their life. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, we would hang at this bar that had three levels. It had a dance floor. Uh, I remember we had that friend Amy was like, wow, Mary, you sure have that dance move down, Pat. Ouch. I remember that? Ouch. <laughs> I know, ouch. <laughs> so I mostly hung upstairs in that, like, coffee shop. There was a coffee Jakes. shop. Yep. Jake's. There was yes. this great outdoor deck. Man, I loved that place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's where I started playing guitar with Aaron. And yeah. my thought process at that point was, oh, okay, now I'm out playing guitar. Like, you know, it was just this step-by-step thing where... I'm going to move here and eventually I am going to make my way on stage with the Indigo Girls. And that was one of the steps, like getting myself out on stage, playing guitar in public with my friend, Aaron. Yeah, that was a great step. Um, I mean, you just started collecting gigs. Well, let's talk about intuition. Like my intuition kept telling me and, you know, I would read advice columns and like, you know, modern drummer, you know, because at that point I was kind of playing guitar, but my main focus was the drums. You know, I would read articles like just do as many gigs and play as many gigs as you can. Just get yourself out there. You don't need this degree. You don't need this. Just get yourself out there. If you feel you have the talent, just get yourself out there. So that's all I was doing. The band that I moved down here with, we were playing a lot. We were getting popular. Um, My first six months here, we were in John Keane's studio in Athens. He did all the REM stuff and the B-52 stuff. And within six months, I'm in the studio That's awesome. with him. So, you know, as time went along and as I listened to my intuition and kept my focus, things just kept creeping along and creeping along. Yeah. And so, you know, the whole recording thing with John Keane was one of them. Playing out in public with Aaron was one of them. And then I met my friend Dee Dee Vogt, who was the bass player on the first Indigo Girls record. Mm. I met her pretty early on and became her studio drummer. Oh, we right. hit it off right away. There's another synchron. I mean, you got to watch the synchronicity. Yeah. Looking back, it's like there's just a map that was divinely, you know, guided. I would have been told at that time through circumstance, you know, through my intuition, through whatever, like, hey, this is not the right place. Try somewhere else. But that never happened because mm-hmm. the dots kept connecting over and over. Mm-hmm. Even if there was a long time span between the, you know, the next dot, mm-hmm. they kept connecting, which kept me here. Yeah. Which made me know I was in the right place. Yeah. And and then eventually you and I were in a band together. Yes, we were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Susie French connection. Mary was a baguette. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you were in a band called The Gentle Readers. Yes. And... They wanted to do kind of this fun sort of wedding band-ish type of thing. 70s cover band. That's what they wanted to do. Yes. And they wanted backup singers. And Linda's the drummer and and a backup singer as well. And Linda was like, you know, I have this friend who can sing harmony. Yeah, like a mofo. She can sing (laughs) harmony. (laughs) So maybe she could audition. And weren't you like, oh, yeah, she can also sort of imitate Cher? Was that part of the deal? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I was like, I was, I was like, they were kind of against it. If uh, this is my memory, they may have a different memory, but I really pushed you and Becky. 
they had heard of Becky, but they'd never heard of you. And I was like, y'all need to trust me because my friend Mary can do a mean share and she can <laughs> harmonize anytime, anywhere with anybody. And we, you can't have a 70s band without backup singers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. I know. I was born in the wagon of a traveling show. See what I'm Same. saying? <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Oh, my Jeez. God. I know. Too funny. So uh, I was in that band for probably 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a great time. It was a good time. When did you meet? I know I'm fast forwarding a little bit. When did you meet Michelle Malone? Okay. That's a great story. So I'm playing in these bands. Years go by. I'm here. Let me see. I moved here in 92. One day in the year 2001, I have just been here listening to my intuition, stay the course, stay the course, play in this band, play in this band, meet this person, do this. Well, it was one of those moments where I was still in general readers, but I was feeling stagnated and I was feeling like, gosh, nothing's happening here. Like you start to feel discouraged. Well, I went grocery shopping one Saturday morning and I came home and this is in the day of answering machines. (laughs) And Michelle Malone, who is sort of a celebrity around here, very tight with Indigo Girls, toured with Indigo Girls all the time because they're friends. Michelle Malone was looking for a drummer and she called me and left me a message. And I got it after I was grocery shopping one day on a Saturday, totally unexpected. And when I played the message, immediately the light bulbs came and it was felt like a lightning of confirmation, like, (gasps) you know, yeah, she left a very short message. She was my friend, Didi. Going back to Didi Boat, she I was her studio drummer. She was Indigo Girls bass player for a while, friends with them, blah, blah, blah. My friend Didi had recommended me to Michelle. Awesome. Because Michelle had this tour scheduled with the Indigo Girls, and her drummer was not working out. Um, so he went back to New York, and she needed a drummer within three days. Wow. Because she had this tour scheduled with them. Now, this is in 2001. Again, if this is not a lesson for people to stay the course, no matter what, <laughs> 1992 to 2001, that's a long-ass time. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. So the call came. And so she called. She left a message. I need a drummer. I've got this summer tour scheduled. We're going to be playing these big shows. Can you do it? And I was like, yes, I can do it. And so I called her back and it was about a five minute conversation. Um, I didn't know any of her songs. I had to learn all of her songs within three days. I had to move (laughs) out of my apartment in Midtown because I was about to become a touring musician. And that doesn't pay much when you're the opening band. But this is my thing. This is why I moved here. Right. And it's now happening. So I don't. I could live on a bench somewhere. I didn't care. <laughs> so our friends Holly Medisa said, hey, get out of your apartment. Put your stuff in our spare bedroom. Um, so I did that. I got out of my lease. I moved and I learned all of her songs in three days. And I was in a van headed to the West Coast to play my first show with Indigo Girls. Wow. That's so badass. I love <laughs> Isn't that I crazy? Love it. That's a great story. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yes. And it's funny because after Michelle and I became friends, she was like, why didn't you just call me and ask me to play? And I was like, well, because I was afraid of you. Like Michelle's a rocker. She is very, she's kind of like Joan Jett, but she's, I think she's better. She's like this combo of Joan Jett, Chrissy Hind, Bonnie Raitt, all wrapped into one. She's a yeah. badass player. And at the time, you know, remembering my sheepish, you know, manner somewhat, it was getting better at that point, but I was still not fully into my confidence and into my own skin. She said, why didn't you just call me up and ask to play for me? It doesn't work that way. It does doesn't it? work that way because I'm afraid. <laughs> well, but I, I mean, just, she would be getting I mean, calls all that? the time. Who does that exactly? Well, apparently all of her other drummers did, but they were all guys <laughs> and they were like, yeah, man, I want to play for you. And it's like, well, I was, that's not my matter. Like yeah. I wanted it to come to me, yeah. you know, which is also about me developing my feminine energy in this lifetime. I'm learning to receive. I'm learning to let things come to me mm. instead of chase and grabbing, grabbing, which can be an Aries thing, first house. Interesting. So, yeah, I was like, well, because I couldn't. I was scared. Yeah. But the synchronicity and the confirmation, you know, it came to me. I mean, I had this in my head and in my heart since I was 18. And here it is. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That is such an amazing story. I have to interject with the story I've told on this podcast before, but it's been such a long time. When I first moved to the D.C. area six years ago-ish, I remember feeling completely out of my element. I was missing home, missing my friends, missing my job that I'd left, missing my pets, like everyone, in a place I didn't know anybody. 
I stumble into this restaurant. Well, that makes it sound like I was drunk already. That you was not the case. Were, oh, okay. Not the case. <laughs> I happened to pick this place one night, and the only place to sit was at the bar next to this couple. So um, I sit there, and the woman is super outgoing and starts a conversation with me, asked me where I'm from. I was like, well, I just moved from Atlanta like a week ago. And she said, really? Well, do you know the Indigo Girls? I thought she was basically saying, I know you're a lesbian. <laughs> and I'm trying to, I'm trying <laughs> Which to out you. Which part of it probably was. <laughs> uh, feeling I feeling this out. It's okay. We can talk. So yeah. clearly you like the Indigo Girls because you're a lesbian <laughs> and you're leaving <laughs> in Atlanta. Don't all lesbians like the Indigo Girls? No, they don't. But that's okay. Maybe the ones from Atlanta. That's a prerequisite for <laughs> exactly. lesbianism. There are some lesbians that don't. And I think that's great. That's Go okay, ahead. too. Yep. So I said, yeah, I, I like the Indigo Girls. And, you know, back in the 80s and early 90s, I really liked the Indigo Girls. You know, I, I don't pay as much attention these days. But yeah, sure. At one time, I really liked the Indigo Girls. And she said, OK, well, do you know who Michelle Malone is? <laughs> That's crazy. Seriously. So Unbelievable. within 10 minutes of knowing this person in this random place, after a week of being in Alexandria, Virginia, I meet this woman who knows Michelle Malone. Uh-huh. So she brings that up. And I was like, yeah, um, I've been to some of her shows. In fact, my best friend is her drummer. And she was like, <laughs> get out of here. I'm like, what? She said, 10 years ago for my 40th birthday in Indiana, your friend played my birthday party. Yes, we did. Yeah. What are the odds of that what are happening? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I know. So I start texting you right away. I'm like, do you remember playing this party? You're like, no, not exactly. But I played a lot of parties. She had the whole thing on video. Right. And then when she, um, I think she showed it on video or so, somehow I saw it and yes. I was talking to you and I was like, oh yeah, I do remember that party. Yeah. Yeah. Mary, that's when I knew immediately that you were in the right place, that you were sent up there for a reason. Because let's talk about the tornado that sent you up there. I know. That's crazy what happened to you. It was not foreseen. It wasn't this, hey, I have to go to the sea. It was the universe saying, nope, you're done here. You need to go up there now. Yes. Uh, I generally don't talk about my profession on this podcast for whatever reason. I will leave present tense out of it. But at that time, I was working for Cartoon Network. And I worked there uh, about 19 years and was a victim of layoff. And it was really painful. It felt like a breakup. I had to get rid of all my Cartoon Network t-shirts, all the Cartoon Network swag. I'd collected mugs, shirts, toys, what have you. I couldn't have it around. It was literally like going through a breakup. It was so painful. How many years had you been there? A long time. 19. Yeah, that's a huge life transition. Yeah. Not asked for. It was forced upon you. Forced upon me. The only job I could find was up here in a related field. My girlfriend at the time did not want to move. She could have. She works remotely for her company, but did not want to. Yep. So we tried long distance for a few months, but I could tell she wasn't into it. So that fizzled out. So I left her. I left my pets. I left all my friends, sold my house that I loved. It was rough. It was a rough, rough time. That's a whirlwind of unexpected change. That's cataclysmic. There were nights I would go to bed and just pray and pray and pray to not wake up the next day. Yep. Lots of nights like that. I hear you. Not to the point that I would do anything about it. I don't even know who I was praying to, but I would pray that often. I thought I would be fine. I mean, you're right. I can talk to anybody. I thought I would bounce back. I'd make friends. I'd be on this grand adventure in a new place. And it just did not go that way for a long time. Right. It's hard. That's the thing when the divine steps in, which is represented by Pisces, you can be in that void, you know, because the old is over, but the new hasn't begun yet. And so you're in this void and you're, you're just floating in this abyss of no control. And it's at that point that you have to trust the divine. And that's exactly what you were doing. It doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't matter if you have a vision or an idea of who you're praying to. Because there are beings who are listening to you. Yeah. They sent you up there for a reason. It's represented by the tower card in, in the tarot. Mm. When the tower comes, it's when the divine sweeps in and says, you're done with this. You've got better things ahead of you. But you may not know what those better things are. It takes time to unfold, which it did, obviously, for you. Right. It took some time. So meeting this couple at this place, at this bar, and they mention not just Atlanta, 
not just musicians that I know about, but they mention you. <laughs> like you are brought up in that conversation. My best friend is brought up in this conversation. I felt waves of relief talking to them. Major sign. Yeah, it was a huge sign. You were led there that night. I know. In fact, there was another night earlier, a couple days earlier that I was going to maybe go and it was bad weather or some reason why I couldn't go. And it just it was this night that I happened to be there when they happened to be there sitting next to one another. Amazing. Major validation. Okay. So you had the synchronicity and you came home and you told me about it and whatever, but that didn't alleviate the reason why am I here? It didn't completely, like it validated some part of you. And that's where the trust has to come in because even then your future was not You didn't know. No. Like that was a good validation, but there was still that, why am I here? I don't, that was fun and that was great and synchronistic, but it's not, I still don't know. You were still in that void of the unknown. Yeah. Along the way up here, that synchronistic moment, I started to recognize other ones, even little, little ways that synchronicities were happening. Oh, I have to tell you about the matrix pill moment I had on my balcony. Yeah. Please do. I was having this moment one time on my balcony where I just sort of realized that I had swallowed the red pill and I felt like I could see the world clearly. And I also could see that so many people would rather swallow the blue pill. Yes. Because they don't want to see what's going on. That's consensus. Yes. The positive part is I felt like my purpose was to help other people get through their journey. Mm -hmm. That struck me so hard that day. I was like, you know, we're all in this boat. We're all in this boat of why are we here? What's the point to any of it? Maybe I can make that a little easier for other people. You were strong enough and you were clear enough, no matter how painful, to know those nudges of inspiration. You know, the one that you just talked about, like, okay, I was strong enough to move through this and get through this. So if I'm strong enough to move through this and get through this, that means that I can probably help somebody else. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's the thing about, you know, experiencing these divine synchronicities and cataclysms or whatever it is that happens in in one's life. It's the act of understanding why it happened. It's looking at the synchronicities, understanding that there's order to it, and then When you understand that there's order to it, the natural thing, you being a Pluto and Virgo, I'm a Pluto and Virgo, anyone with Virgo in their karmic dynamic, they want to help other people. They're the healers of the Zodiac. And generally to do that, you have to go through your own hard times. You have to experience your own before you can give it to someone else. Yeah. That's Virgo. That makes sense. And then I eventually met Shelly and we started a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I think your listeners know how that happened. But yeah, yeah that, I mean, that was crazy. That whole thing. It just kept unfolding like one little dot at a time up there for you. Yeah, what's your side? Because I know that Mary talked to you about our relationship all the time because it was new and you were best friend. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, when she first told me about you? Yeah, give it to me. When Mary told me that she was in love with a woman with uh, how many kids? Seven. Seven kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mouth dropped and it wasn't about you or judgment about you. It was that, you know, Mary's always been this independent spirit who <laughs> she wanted the relationship, you know, but she didn't want the kids. Um, mm-hmm. Never any interest in kids. But when she fell in love with you, it didn't matter because she loved you. And that was another part of her cataclysmic transformation she was going through. I had no judgment about it. And prior to evolutionary astrology and prior to going through my own cataclysmic events, I may have had judgment about that. I may have shitted her. Don't do this. You're going to end up breaking up because you don't want kids. You need to think about this. I maybe would have done all that, Mm. but because of the growth I've gone through and understanding that people are where they are and things change and it just goes so deep. I had zero judgment about it. I was like, wow, okay, well, that's different. Awesome. (laughs) There was absolutely no judgment on my end. There was only acceptance because, again, what I learned is that people learn through experience. Even if you have the best interests for somebody, you don't know what their karma is. You don't know what they're supposed to experience in order to learn. And so I stay away from the you shoulds, mm-hmm. you know? So I didn't, Shelly, I didn't have any judgment about it. I just wanted Mary to have good boundaries mm-hmm. and to take care of herself when she needed to. 
and to also be completely sensitive to what you're going through because you were in the middle of your cataclysmic change. Yeah. And so at that point, she couldn't impose a whole lot of her needs on you because you were trying to take care of your own needs for the first time in your life. Yeah. So it was just a really big awareness of, wow, this is a difficult situation, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to work out. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to see how this is going to work out. But I left it all up to Mary. I never once told her any kind of you should or I don't think this is a good idea or I think it's a great idea. Like I was, I don't know, Mary, would you say I was pretty neutral? Yeah. I was just a listener. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't feel like you tried to steer me one way or another. No. I mean, that whole thing evolved too. I mean, yeah, we went to Atlanta after knowing each other three weeks, but... <laughs> I think I'd seen you in, per- in person like twice. <laughs> and then we then? went to Atlanta together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Funny. Why not? Why not? Well, I mean, that was the first time I saw the rapport between you two. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Mary's lighter. She's always been funny. Um, Mary, I'm going to talk to Shelly's if you're not here. I'm just kidding. That's always fun. Do it. You know, Mary's (laughs) like, she's always been light and funny. and But there was a genuine lightness around you where... I don't want to, you know, get into Mary's past relationships. It's private. But Mm -hmm. there was something different about this one. And it probably had to do with Mary's growth cycle, Mary's cataclysmic event that she went through, yours. It was just like the right timing. And it was like, hmm, they really laugh a lot together. Even though they're in this really difficult situation, Mm -hmm. they're laughing a lot. And I noticed the negotiation between you two. I thought about this last night, that I wanted to bring this up. There is a really beautiful negotiation between you two, which signals partnership. Mm -hmm. You know, society promotes Codependency is love. What the Aries-Libra axis tries to promote is equality. It promotes partnerships. And partnerships, they're an ongoing negotiation where you meet your own needs, but you also have to learn how to meet the needs of your partner. And you just have to meet in the middle. And this thing that Mary has with you has been the best example of that I've seen thus far in Mary's life. Wow. So I'm good for Mary. (laughs) And Mary's good for me too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, it's up to you. Yeah. I saw Mary struggling before Mm -hmm. and I don't see Mary struggling. And the reason that Mary doesn't feel like she has to struggle, Shelly, is because you do listen to her and you respond. I do. And if she requests something that you can't give in the moment, you tell her Mm -hmm. and Mary's like, okay, but when you can give it, you give it. Yeah. And I've not seen that before. Like, it's really nice how you respond to Mary, not to say that you should give in to, you know, every one of Mary's demands. And Mary would never say that either. No, but no. there's a listening there from you and a, I don't want to lose you. What can I do? Yes. Energy there from you that I've not seen before. Aww. And it makes all the difference. Yeah. I think, um, at least I hope I make um, Mary feel valued and loved, maybe a little too smothered, but um, <laughs> I, I, I respect her and I love her and I want to do whatever. But at the same time, I'm to the point now where I'm not going to give so much of myself where I'm damaged. And Mary's the same way, which is great. She she will give what she can, but not to the point where it hurts her. And I think um, we do a great job of talking about it. And yeah. it goes back and forth. Sometimes I give more and she gives less. Sometimes she gives more and I give less, just depending on where we are. And I've, I've never in my life been in a situation, even with family, friends, husband, boyfriends, whatever, I've never been in the situation where I've been so open and willing to talk about my needs and willing to give mm-hmm. Because I think I'm knowing that she matches. You know, she gives back. It's not being sucked in. I don't give to her because I feel like I have to. Right. And I don't give to her with resentment, which is a huge difference because in my marriage, I would give but be pissed about it. Like, okay, fine. You know, but with Mary, it's like, oh, wow, this is going to really make her life better, easier, happier. She does the same for me. It took 40-something years to get to the point (laughs) that I could do that, but I love it. It's beautiful. There's just an intimacy between the two of you 
And Shelly, it's because you were gay all along. I sure was. You know, you were trying to go along with consensus. And so nothing about that was going to feel as natural and intimate as it does with Mary because you're gay. (laughs) She's pretty much the gayest of the gay. I'm very gay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You wanted to be with a woman. It just was not going to work with a man. Not this time around. It was part of your individuating. Mm -hmm. But understanding that you fall in love with a soul and not a biological body. Yeah. That's what this planet is really moving into. This conversation is so interesting to me. The thing is about you, Linda, which is so great about our friendship, it's like we can talk and talk and talk for hours. We just never seem to run out of conversations. I think it was Brene Brown that says you only get like really a handful of people or less, maybe one or two that really get you, you know, that you can really be vulnerable with and that person is safe and you can tell them anything and they show up for you every single time and you are that person for me. Oh, you're that person for me too. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first day I made you chicken and peas and macaroni and cheese. I was so (laughs) nervous because I was trying to make friends in Atlanta and I was like, I have to push myself. I have to get out of my, my little loner zone where I'm, you know, feeling bad or whatever. I have to make friends. And so I took this big step and I invited Mary over to my little apartment I was sharing with my nutty friend. And I was like, Julie's going to be gone for a while. Come over for dinner because I want to be your friend. And I was so <laughs> nervous because Mary's such a good cook. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'll just bake some chicken. This is delicious. Cheese or whatever. Because she loved it. <laughs> so I was like, <gasps> and so from then on, we've just been, you know, we just talk about things. I know that I'm the first person you call when you're having girl trouble. Yeah. And these days, I really just enjoy our spiritual discussions. I do too. I don't feel comfortable talking about this kind of thing with everybody because frankly, people are where they are and not everybody's interested in this topic. And, you know, with some other folks that I hang out with, I try to interject this stuff and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, that. But with you and I and with Shelly now included, which is wonderful, um, you know, it feeds my soul. It helps me talk about this. And frankly, in my chart, you know, I told you, Mary, I need to start speaking about this because I've had lifetimes, you know, moving through patriarchal religions that have persecuted me for this. I've died for speaking about this stuff or speaking my truth or trying to help people outside the paradigm of religion. Wow. So I'm trying to heal that. Mm -hmm. And this is a first step for me is talking about it in a public manner on a podcast with, you know, people that I feel safe with and want to engage with me, not just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Right. Like this is feeding my soul. I have to do this. So I hope that you guys ask me back. For sure. And I know that our listeners, by the way, are going to freaking love this episode. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I think so too. Because we do have a lot of listeners who are, you know, you leave religion, then you're like, now what? What is it? There's something... Um, I have connections with people. I don't know what happens, you know, and so just. And where do I go when I die? I mean, there's just so much to talk about. Yeah. And it's a beautiful searching because, again, it's like those listeners that are struggling, they're leaving something behind that they've probably been attached to for lifetimes. And it's very scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's just a matter of trust and, you know, trusting what you resonate with. If this episode and these discussions perk your listeners up or some listeners up. Beautiful. You should keep talking about it. We should keep talking about it. And don't you have a Facebook page or something that you post about stuff like this? I do. It's called Empower Yourself Astrology. At this point, I'm not really giving readings for people because I'm still learning to intuit someone else's birth chart on a deeper basis. And that takes time. Yeah. So what I do now with this Facebook page is I'll just put out information about the archetypes and whatever. So anyone can go there and interact with me there. That's where I'm at. I still study evolutionary astrology. I'm in the middle of getting certified. For anyone who's interested, Kim Marie Weimer is my teacher. She's the director of Evolutionary Astrology Network. Okay. Go there, anybody who's interested. She's a wonderful teacher. She's been doing this for over 30 years. Um, She offers a self-study course, and you can certify, you can become an astrologer, or you can just do it for your own soul growth. Right now, I'm kind of in between those two. But if anyone's interested, um, Jeffrey Wolf Green School of Evolutionary Astrology is also a wonderful place to go. Jeffrey Wolf Green is the guy who brought forth evolutionary astrology and he received it in his dreams. And I know that sounds new agey and weird and whatever, but if you start reading about this stuff and reading what he says, reading his books, Pluto Volume 1, Pluto Volume 2, your mouth will drop. It's just a wonderful spiritual paradigm that resonates with me and can help other people understand themselves on a deeper basis outside of what we call cookbook or traditional astrology. It goes deep into the soul. 
That's awesome. And they're wonderful teachers. Well, I'm going to post all those links in the show notes for this episode so people can reference them and they don't have to take notes. They'll have it right there. I'll I'll provide it. Uh, We want to have you back, Linda. Excellent. Will you come back on? Yes. Okay. We didn't even get into the Netflix show that we talked about. I (laughs) know. Next time. That is such a neat series. Next time we'll talk about that because I know this one was a little bit all over the place. Thanks for hanging with us, listeners. A little disjointed, but that's okay. They're used to it. They're used to it. It's so true. Yeah. (laughs) Linda, thanks so much for being on today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. This is fun. I love it. Okay, we'll do it again. Love you so much. Love you too. What a cool conversation that was. I cannot wait to get her back on. Seriously. I love her. Mm -hmm. I love Linda. Linda, are you listening? Oh, she just was. So <laughs> she, she knows we love her. Her ears are still burning. Mm-hmm. Let's take a commercial break. And then when we come back, we're going to get into some patrons and some stuff. Okay. All righty. Let's do it. Be right back. All right. We're back with some patron names. We have four. Okay. But if you add our new channels member, that makes five. So oh, five, we have five. five people. Yeah. Five, five supporters. Yes. Five supporters. Um, how are we going to announce these people's names? We got to come up with something. What about some cool spiritual last name? What do you think of that? Um, I'm going to challenge you with that. Oh, dear. Patron number one. Yeah. Katie P. P. Uh, let's just go straight up astrology. Pisces. Ah, Katie Pisces. I wonder if Katie is a Pisces. Uh, I don't know. Well, you are now, Katie. (laughs) That's your new sign. It is your new sign. (laughs) Just like your new name, Katie Mm -hmm. Pisces. Next, Camille E. E, well, we could go with some of the topic for this conversation, evolutionary astrology. Camille, evolutionary astrology. Right, right. It's that. hyphenated. In it. Oh, <laughs> yes. Camille, you are now hyphenated. Okay. Next, Diane. Diane? <laughs> no initial. Huh. Remember, listen, if y'all send in names with no initials, we're just going to give you whatever the fuck we want. Well, you know, we uh, Linda mentioned the tower in tarot. Oh, Diane Tarot Tower Tarot Tower Tower <laughs> Diane Tarot Tower. Say that three times fast. There you go. Do it. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm supposed to. Yes, literally. Yes, Diane Tarot Tower. Diane Tarot Tower. Nope, can't do it. No. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Diane, nice tongue twister. Last, Shandon Fan. Oh, so gets nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Except thank you for giving us an incredibly inventive name so we don't have to come up with anything. So, Shandon (laughs) Shandon Fan. I like it. Thank you. (laughs) That's our patrons. Oh, well, thanks, patrons. Uh, Shelly, do we have anyone with Marco Polo? Yep, we are adding another boy to the mix. Nice. Welcome, Aaron L. Aaron L. What is Make him a Libra. Oh, Libra. There you go. That's your new sign. Mm -hmm. So, if you didn't like your old sign, you got a new one, Aaron L. Or maybe it's been Aaron's sign the entire time. We don't know. (laughs) Mary, we're not allowed to just give people new astrology signs. Oh, but weren't we just doing that? Except for right now. (laughs) (laughs) Aaron Libra, thank you for joining us on Channels. Thanks to everybody. If you would like to support us financially, seriously, thank you so much. We can't tell you enough how much that means to us. Please visit latterdaylesbian.org slash support. Appreciate you. Okay, does that wrap us up, Shelley? Close, real close. Okay. I wanted to say that this episode is brought to you by UC Places, the letter mm. U, the letter C, places.com. And the reason I bring this up is because I'm very proud of the work that I've put into it. So yeah. just go to the website and check out some of my tours. We got a lot more coming. It's exciting. Yeah, you're working hard. You're getting some tour guides all set up on yeah. that app and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Who knew I would grow up and be on like an app development Team, Team, sort of. Program, whatever. <laughs> you never know, you right? You just don't know where life is going to take you. Right, Linda? You just right? don't know. You just, you don't just know. follow the fucking path. Follow the path. Mm-hmm. I love it. And we're going to send these paths over to Dan from Extension Audio. That was weird. Dan, Thank you can you. still leave it in. <laughs> leave it in, Dan, from Extension Audio. Thank you for your help. Everybody else, please steer clear of cults because they're no joke. No joke at all. Talk to you later. Bye.